There once was a princess who was walking down the street when she met a frog. If you kiss me, the frog said, I'll turn into a very spiritual, nice and kind religious minister with a PhD in theology. The princess picked up the frog, put it in her pocket. What are you doing? shouted the frog. The princess said, I'd rather have a frog. Listen, the world isn't impressed with religion, but love. And sometimes we work too hard to tell the world exactly where they've gone wrong. To possess true wisdom in God's eyes, it's when you and I are willing to remain open, recognizing that we do not have all the answers, that we do not have everything figured out. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. Jesus invites you to rest from your own wisdom and futile attempts to acquire salvation on your own merits. This week, Charles Tapp begins a new series of messages, The Prayers of Jesus, a window into the heart of God, with the hope it will inspire a life of prayer. As he shares his first message, wise in their own eyes. Today we begin a four-part series that I've titled The Prayers of Jesus, A Window into the Heart of God. Now, the idea for this series actually took root from our prayer gathering that we had for 12 weeks where we looked at the seven prayers of Jesus, this book titled The Seven Prayers of Jesus. I admonish you to get this book, The Seven Prayers of Jesus by Laszlo Gallows. For here, the author draws our attention to seven of Jesus' prayers, some of them being very well known while others are not so well known, but, but each of them potentially can be transformative if we're willing to take the words of Jesus' prayers and embed them in our hearts. But what makes Galut's treatment of prayer so powerful is that it transcends the traditional approach to this topic that we see so often where, where prayer is simply viewed as an instrument or a tool that gives us the ability to receive those things from God that we want. I've heard when I was a child, the ABCs of prayer, that all you have to do is ask, believe, and claim, and, and God is somehow guaranteed to, to give you whatever you ask. But then at the other end of the spectrum, there are those who believe that, that prayer is a last resort. How many of you have ever heard or have ever said yourself, well, I guess all I can do is what? Pray. In essence, what we're saying is that we've tried every other means to, to solve the problem, the challenge that we find ourselves faced with. So I guess now prayer will have to be my last resort. But then there are those who believe that prayer is simply a precious waste of time. But for the humble child of God, and I pray that is you today, 
Prayer is a spiritual activity where I as a sinner and you as a sinner can enter into sacred communion with the creator of this vast universe. And at its foundation, dear friends, prayer is nothing more than the amazing act of grace on the part of God who after the fall of humankind, instead of allowing Adam and Eve to fend for themselves, intervened and granted them access, and we still have that access today through this thing that we call prayer. And if that's not an act of grace, I don't know what is. But because of our sins, none of us deserve to have access to God, but God in his amazing, marvelous grace said, I'm still going to grant you access and it will be through this thing called prayer. And when you examine and you take the time to really look at what prayer is, at its core, you recognize that there are two things that take place when an individual prays. First of all, when you and I pray, we are acknowledging that God is real. Amen? Secondly, when you and I pray, not only are we acknowledging that God is real, but we're also saying, I believe that when I pray to this God, that this God will extend grace to me and respond to my prayers. Amen? I love the writer to the Hebrews on how he articulates this in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Do you know that? Hebrews 11 and verse 6, but it says, but without what? But without faith. It is what? Impossible to please God for he who does what? Comes to God. And how do you and I come to God? We come to God in what? Prayer. When we come to him, that what? We must believe that he is. In other words, the only reason you and I come to God in prayer in the first place is because we believe that God exists, amen? But knowing and believing that God exists, if we're going to be brutally honest, is not enough. But we must also believe that he rewards those who do what? Digitally seek him. Now, let's just be honest for a moment. If we didn't believe the second part of what the writer to the Hebrew says, that when you and I come to God, that we know that we have the assurance that he will hear and respond to our prayers, you and I wouldn't utter a single word in prayer, would we? Let's be honest. Why do we pray? Just so that God can hear? Or do we pray because we want God to do something? Some of us not being honest today. It's good that God hears. But if God didn't respond, would you continue to pray? Jesus says, behold, I stand, what? At the door knocking. If any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come in. The only reason you and I pray is because we believe, number one, that God exists. But secondly, we also believe that God will respond to my cries. Have you ever cried out to God? And I don't even mean that 
in a symbolic sense, but have you ever physically cried out to God? I need to get the honest congregation in here this morning. I'm not talking about these pretty prayers. God, my heavenly father, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There are times you and I crowd to God physically. My God! If you haven't been there, you will. There are those of us who have literally cried out to God. And the only reason we cry out to God is because we believe that God will have mercy upon us and that he will respond. If we didn't believe that, that God is and that God hears and God cares, we wouldn't utter a single word in prayer. But utter a word Jesus did. And over the course of the next few weeks, we'll be taking a look at some of these prayers that Jesus prayed. From the words, the agonizing words that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane to those infamous words on the cross. But today, I want to draw your attention to a prayer found in Matthew chapter 11. This is the prayer of we're going to focus on today. Jesus says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from whom? The wise and the prudent, and have revealed them to whom? Babes, verse 26. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your This is one of the strangest prayers that Jesus ever prayed. Why would Jesus thank his heavenly father for concealing things from the wise and revealing those same things to those who are babes? Some translations render it children or infants. It would seem to make more sense that you would want to share things, whatever those things are, with those who are wise and not with those who are babes, those who don't possess the ability to comprehend certain things. But as I say all the time, when you look at the word of God, context is everything. So let's put Jesus' words here, this this prayer, into a broader context. Let's go up a few verses in Matthew chapter 11. But this time, let's look at verses 20 to 24. Then he began to rebuke the cities in in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not do what? Repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Look at verse 23. And you, Capernaum who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to 
Hades, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done where? In Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Please stay with me. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now let's read verse 25 to get the context. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. I'm not sure if you caught it, but there are two very important things that are taking place here. First of all, Jesus refers to these three villages where when you read scripture, he spent a great amount of his time in these places teaching and preaching and healing, performing miracles, especially when it came to Capernaum where he performed more miracles, preached more sermons, did more teaching than in any of the rest of the cities in that region. And despite the fact that Jesus spent a great deal of his time and ministry focused on them, in the end, this is what Jesus says about them. He says, the destruction they're going to receive will eclipse what I have in store for Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to do more for these cities as far as destruction is concerned than even Sodom. Think about that. When you think of Sodom, what other city do you think of? Gomorrah, known for its evil and how they were destroyed. But Jesus says, uh-uh, you think what I did for them and destroying them was something you haven't seen any thing yet. And when I read this prayer, I said, this doesn't make any sense. For Jesus spent a great deal of his time teaching, preaching, performing miracles in these three cities, but he says they are worse off than even Sodom. Why did he say that? Here's the big question. If these three cities were so bad, and Jesus describes them as being worse off than Sodom, then why spend so much time there? What made these cities in Jesus' eyes worse off than even Sodom, a place known for evil, please don't miss this, is that they were wise in their own eyes. And what Jesus meant by this was that in spite of the fact that these people had a first-hand account to witness the power of God through his teaching, through his preaching, and through his miracles, they refused to turn their hearts toward God. And when you take into account Jesus' indictment on these cities, along with his prayer that immediately follows, we are given an understanding of who Jesus was referring to when he referred to the wise and the prudent. Now, normally when we say that someone is wise, we're paying them a compliment. We're saying that they're well-informed, that they have a great deal of discernment, that they have 
good judgment. But in this instance, you pick up a hint of sarcasm on the part of Jesus, and it's not subtle. In essence, Jesus is saying that they're not really wise because if they were wise, they would have responded to the many opportunities they were given to accept the kingdom of God. And please don't miss this. He's not talking about people who have no knowledge of God. He's talking about the religious elite of his day, those who are supposed to be wise in the things of God, but instead of being wise in the things of God, they were wise in their own eyes. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Wise in Their Own Eyes. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life, and the world isn't impressed with how much you know, but in how much you care. Pastor Tapp offers an alternative found in the prayers of Jesus that might give you a new perspective as he concludes his message, wise in their own eyes. To possess true wisdom in God's eyes, it's when you and I are willing to remain open recognizing that we do not have all the answers, that we do not have everything figured out. And sadly, sometimes we as Christians are more guilty in this regard than those who have never professed a knowledge of God. I don't have all the answers. And guess what? Neither do you. For our Christian walk is a walk of what? Faith. Please stay with me. Walk by faith and not by sight. So if I'm walking by faith and not by sight, the opposite of faith is not doubt. Please don't miss this. Because so many Christians believe that the opposite of faith is doubt. No. The opposite of faith is certainty. And you don't serve God out of certainty. You and I serve God out of our what? Faith. For if we were 100% certain about everything, then we would know God fully, and none of us knows God fully. 
We don't have all the answers, so we need to stop like we do. Stop acting like we do. There are some Christians who think they know the answer to everything, everything figured out. Well, if you have everything figured out, then you are God. Doubt is not a sin. Doubt is part of your journey of faith. Certainty, on the other hand, is the antithesis of faith. And if we're told to walk by faith and not by sight, if we're certain, then it's not faith. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter 8? What I find interesting here is that those who refuse to accept Jesus, to accept the kingdom of God, he calls them wise. And those who willingly accept it, the principles of the kingdom and the teachings of the kingdom, Jesus refers to them as babes. Do you see the antithetical parallelism here? Wise meaning you don't know anything. A babe means you are willing to admit that you don't know and you're willing to accept more. But the strangest aspect of this prayer that Jesus prayed is this. It falls into the category of a prayer of thanksgiving. Not the kind of prayer you usually hear in a prayer of thanksgiving. For Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, the secrets of the kingdom of God, from the wise and revealed them to babes. Please don't miss this. In no way is Jesus saying that his Father had not given them ample opportunity to accept the principles and the teachings of the kingdom, because he had. He did more miracles, did more teaching, preached more sermons in this region than in any other. But what he is saying is, because the people of these cities, of this region, because they refused to accept what was staring them in the face, God refused then to give them further insights to the kingdom of God. And the reason why he did that was because to whom much is given, much is required. And the much that Jesus was referring to here in Luke 12, 42 is knowledge. So the more knowledge you and I have of the word of God and the teachings of the kingdom of God, we will be held more accountable, please don't miss me, than those communities that we look down upon thinking that they are less than we are and we are better than them. And Jesus looks at us and go, your punishment is going to be worse than theirs. And we think that we're, we're fine because We've got the truth, and we've got this, we've got this teaching, we've got that teaching, and, 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 and God is going, but what are you living up to? Those who don't even know me are better off than those of you who have all of this truth, all this teaching, all of this knowledge. You think you're wise in your own eyes, and you're foolish, and you need to be like babes. And in thanking his father, he wasn't thanking him for withholding further insights of the kingdom of God. Please don't miss this last part. But he is thanking his father for the fact 
that God is sovereign. And in doing so, Jesus gives us in this prayer a perfect example of how you and I are to confront the most hopeless and unthinkable circumstances and situations in our lives, and that is with a thankful heart. Not thankful for those things, but thankful for the fact that God is in control. Sometimes when I look at the world around me, I don't even like watching television anymore. For it makes me think that God is not really in control. Have you ever felt that way? Are there any honest people here today? We've been told that if we just do everything right, then things are supposed to work out. It was just this past week I had to deal with something like this, where I took hold of the responsibility that I was given, and I dotted every I, and I crossed every T, and I sent every email, and I made every phone call that was supposed to have been made regarding this issue, but instead of it working out the way I thought it should have worked because I did everything that I was supposed to have done, it turned out just the opposite because one person didn't do what they were supposed to have done. And then it hit me. It's almost like God just grabbed me by the shirt and said, son, who's in control? Sometimes God allows chaos, havoc, to enter into our lives to remind us that we're not the ones in control, that he's in control. So when Jesus is thanking God, he's not saying, I thank you that you're withholding this information from them this insight from them, but Jesus is saying, the mere fact that they rejected me, I'm going to leave that up to you, God, so I thank you that you are in charge. And that's why in the prayer he says, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. In other words, he's saying, my Father, who is the great sovereign God of this universe, I thank you. You are in charge. And when you and I recognize that God is sovereign and that we're not in charge, it helps to stabilize our lives. And when that happens, you and I can experience this thing called rest. Jesus talks about that later in verses 27 to 30. Let's, let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. Look at what it says. He says, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. In other words, he's saying the only one who can know God is God. And I'm God, and he knows me, and I know him. But look at what he goes on to say. He says, come to me, all you who do what? Labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Can somebody say amen for the rest? Take my yoke upon you and do what? Learn from me. Ah. You want to be wise? Learn from me. And I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart. And you will do what? You will find rest in your soul. Look at verse 30. For my yoke is what? Easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying that when you and I, as he did, even in some of the most troublesome times in our lives, acknowledge God's sovereignty, 
it gives us the opportunity to rest in the fact that ultimately he's in charge. But what I learned from this prayer of Jesus is that when you and I do all we're supposed to do, as Jesus did, faithfully sharing truths of the kingdom, and things still don't work out the way you figured they should, we should give God thanks, not for them not working out, but thanking him that ultimately he is still in control. But if you're going to be wise in your own eyes, then you'll never be able to experience the rest that God has for each and every one of us. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Wise in Their Own Eyes. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. The biblical concept of glory is me, it's you, living our lives day to day in the everyday mundane things that we do in such a way that it honors God. It seems everyone is looking for their own personal glory these days, and social media has made it even easier. Next week, we hope you can listen in again as Charles Tapp continues with the second part of this series, The Prayers of Jesus, with his message, The Search for Glory. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.